Oh yeah, there we go. Mm, feeling that. Go Lazio, everybody. It's the brand new place to hang out and talk about very old football and some of the new stuff. Today in a heady mix of classic flavours and some new scoops. We're going to both look forward and, and look back and into Roma, one this weekend, one like it's 1999. Welcome back to you, by the way, if you've uh, not been following Italian football too much. Uh, hopefully you're going to find this a nice easy primer for some of the great, great matches that are coming up between now and the end of the, the season. Anyway, hello to you, James Horncastle. Hey, Jimbo. Buongiorno, dottore. Gabriele Marcotti. Very good to be with you, James. Oh, that's so nice. Uh, let's have a quick check on the news, James, before you know we launch into any kind of analysis of what might be happening this weekend. What's, though, in the papers? That's my paper, everyone. Let's see. Oh, transfer news. Corriere della Sport, Verdi, El del Napoli. This is Simone Verdi, no relation to Jamie Verdi, of course, but he's been the, uh, the story of the January transfer window so far, uh, the revelation of, of, of Bologna. He's going to be picked up by league leaders Napoli, reports Corriere, for 20 million euros plus bonus, or maybe that's going to rise, except, as is often the case with Verdi, the, the fat lady hadn't quite sung. And it turns out, just after Corriere printed this, that, that he's decided he's going to stay with Bologna instead. He, he prefers to pass to Bolognese, I, I think, players. Well, and in fact, <laughs> and uh, uh, Verdi composed... Yes. He, you know, he composed a letter to, uh, to the fans on social media exactly. explaining why he was staying in Bologna. Nothing against Napoli and Neapolitans, but in a game that it was without Bandieri, uh, loyal symbols of the club, I thought it was important to stay and grow here at Bologna. Otherwise, it would be disrespectful. Can yeah. I imagine Alexis Sanchez writing that letter to the fans at the Emirates? Uh, in other big news, what's this we got here? Italy manager, the hunt continues. Not the one with the crowd with pitchforks and stuff and Giampiero Ventura. Uh, the, the one for a, a new manager. Uh, Roberto Mancini, I see, refuses to rule himself out. But again in the Corriere della Sport, news of two more big candidates, Allegri and Ancelotti. Londra li chiama clamorosa premier. London calling for these two men. Chelsea are apparently looking for Allegri to be their dopo Conte, their post Conte. And as for Ancelotti, Arsenal are ready with a mega offerta. Uh, also this week... If you've wondered how Silvio Berlusconi came to get 740 million euros for Milan and get paid for it not once but twice, kind of, uh, you're in good company. Apparently, uh, Milanese uh, branch of the uh, financial police have raised uh, an Ancelotti-esque eyebrow as well, said to be investigating whether the whole thing was just a way of importing inflated figures from overseas. A bit like when they brought in Fat Ronaldo, you might feel. <laughs> no, more of a money laundering uh, thing uh, that the inflated figure was to cover up the... Entry into Italy of, of significant funds for Silvio Berlusconi. Silvio himself denies it. He says every time in an election they invent this stuff. Well, lots of other stories out there. We could talk about VAR, but I'd rather talk about Syria, which returns this weekend. Uh, you know, of course, how tight the situation is. Napoli on 51 points, Juventus. How many titles have they won in a row? Six? That's right, you've got. They're one point behind at the moment. Eight points behind them is the team in third, which is Inter. Lazio are on 40, then Roma on 39. Roma are visiting into this weekend. and can pull level with the Nerazzurri. Down at the bottom end, I know you want to know that Benevento are eight points now from safety. Is it right that if the season began a month ago, Benevento would be in like the Europa League spot? Is that right? Yeah. Something like that? <laughs> I mean, they've got more points than Roma over the festive period. Inter, incidentally, the only team with a worse record 
during those five games that we saw played between December 6th and January 6th. Crotone. Kievo. Oh, Kievo. Yeah. Right. So both have fallen away a bit. Boy, haven't they? All sorts of games coming up on, on Sunday. There's like four games in a row. Uh, amongst those games, you've got Napoli going to Atalanta, which is going to be huge. Napoli, I've just mentioned it, top of the league. Atalanta, the story of the you know the, the revelations once again this year, who of course beat Napoli in the, the Coppa Italia quarterfinals. That's going to be huge. It's 11.30 on Sunday. But I guess the the premier fixture this weekend is the one on Sunday night, which is Inter-Roma. Inter-Roma, which finished 3-1 to Inter down at the Stadio Olimpico in August, a, a scoreline which did not reflect, I don't think, the, the way that match went. How, how are you looking forward to this game, James? Well, it's huge for both of them um, because, you know, as Gazetta said uh, earlier in the week, um, you know, we can see Napoli and Juventus have got first and second place wrapped up. You've now got three teams vying for just two places, and uh, yeah, it's like musical chairs. You know, one of them is going to be left standing at the end of the season, and on the basis of what we've seen in December, Lazio seem to be the have more momentum behind them. Seem to have a, be a more complete team. Um, they get goals from all different angles. They've all, not only got Immobile, who's the top scorer in the league at the moment with 20 and 18 games, but goals from Milinkovic, goals from Alberto. Um, whereas Roma and Inter are now struggling, even though they've got in Inter's case Icardi and Roma's case, Dzeko, goals aren't coming that easy for them. Mm. Is it going to be a good game, this one, do you think, Gabriele? Inter-Roma, Sunday night? I don't see how it can be anything but a good game with with the backstory of, of Spalletti going back against his, his old mm. players. You've got the the Nangolan situation, which, I mean, that was extraordinary for for those who don't know, and please fill in the blanks for me, James, if I forget something, but, um, you know... New Year's Eve, the guy can't resist the, the the joys of filming yourself, you know, like, oh, I'm so drunk on television and so on. There's, there's other issues. There's crazy stories linking him to China. And, I mean, for me, this is, Nangolan is arguably Roma's best player and really, in some ways, more important player because in this 4-3-3, if you're looking for the guy who can sort of be the pendulum between midfield and attack and support Checo. It's him, you know. It's not going to be De Rossi or Strootman legging it up the pitch. The, the, look, at the end of the day, um, he's had a number of disciplinary issues over the years. Right. I think if you talk to scouts who've looked at him in detail in this country, uh-huh. they're prepared to overlook the fact that he likes to smoke, that he likes to go out and party, mm-hmm. because he starts every game and he finishes every game, and um, you know whatever he does. Outside the training ground doesn't matter as long as he gives 110% at the training ground and then on a match day. Um, but you know it gives them it gives them some pause for thought. I think the thing with um, Nainggolan, particularly when Conte first got the Chelsea job, and they apparently met in a hotel in Rome, um, was <laughs> was that Nainggolan a little bit like Icardi with Inter? He's quite unusual in that he he loves the lifestyle of where he's at. He loves he loves living in Rome. Yeah, his his wife's Italian, Sardinian. They've made their house there, just as Icardi's done the same in in Milan. Mm. And you know he's happy to be the guy at Roma. Um, but it's just now whether Roma are getting a little bit fed up with him. Um, personally, I, I I agree with Gap. I think he's their best player by by some distance. Um, and you know if they're serious about contending and being regularly in the Champions League, which again is what this game's about. They have to keep players like that. Into Roma, then. So many great games, James, over the years. So many 
great goals as well. Yeah, that great totty chip at San Siro. At San Siro. Yeah. We thought then, for our little wobbly screen bit where we go back in time, that we'd select a great clash between the Giallarossi and the Nerazzurri from way back in 1999. Mm, sweet sounds of Liotto Tre there, which was rocking the nation. Back in 1999, although technically that record was released a year before, but you know, people were still listening to it. Still are. Still are. Liani. The years. And that's what we're going back through, delving through, back to a time when SpongeBob had just been released, Phantom Menace was hitting the cinemas, and at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, Roma were taking on an interside. An interside that features a lineup of talent, Gabrielli, that blows the mind. Players like Michael Sylvester. Bingo. <laughs> He's not the only one. Toribo West, he was there. Amazing. A little bit of backstory, because this, this match was extraordinary. And, and looking back at it, there's loads of stuff that I've forgotten. Like the fact that I think that you know, the inter-manager was... Roy Hudson. Yeah, he was their fourth manager, I think, of the yeah. season. This was his first game back after losing that UEFA Cup final, what, a couple of years before against right. uh, Schalke, when he was the only person ever to... Uh, Javier Zanetti. Exactly. Yeah. Much as I love Uncle Roy and appreciate we all change, and it was, and it was twenty years ago, but that's kind of like the equivalent of going and like squashing a puppy on purpose, right? <laughs> so, anyway, it's, it's the ninety eight ninety nine season, and uh, they'd won the UEFA Cup the season before, three uh, 0 over Lazio, finishing second. Gigi Simone, the manager, was named. Manager of the year, he got the Panchina d'Oro, the Golden Bench. And on that same day, at the start of this season, he got fired by Inter, who began an extraordinary campaign in which they then brought in Michele Luchescu for a few games and kicked him out. And then Luciano Castellini was kind of the interim bloke. And Hodgson comes in just in time for this clash here with Roma on, on early May. I think it was the 3rd of May. Same day that Oliver Reed died. You're kidding, was yeah. it? So they had to finish Gladiator with, you know, what at the time was state-of-the-art CGI. Didn't right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's seven days in. He takes this inter side to, to Roma for a clash with Zdenek Zeman's side. Uh, so you knew we were going to have fun. Inter had really struggled on the road, but Hodgson had worked miracles, in the words of the Corriere della Sera, in just seven days. And within 22 minutes, they were ahead, 2-0 up. Ronaldo, that Ronaldo, scored after 17 minutes breakaway, catching hold of a, a assist from Roberto Baggio. He could play a little. He could play a little. And indeed, he then set up another inter-attacker, Zamorano. So now, Inter 2-0 up. They've got Ronaldo, Zamorano, Badger doing their thing. Roma pull one back from a, a totty penalty. But then Zamorano lobs. Mike Consell. Yes. So now it's 3-1. And Roma back in it. And indeed... Second half starts, and within two minutes, Roma pulled back a couple of goals to make it 3-3. Paolo Sergio and Marco Del Vecchio. Yeah, and the great thing is, is that at this stage, Roy Hodgson thinks, I need to make this team a little bit more defensive. So he brings on Yuri Djokaev. <laughs> wow. And Zamorano then makes it 4-3. Di Francesco, of course, is now the Roma manager, makes it 4-4. 
And then what happened? Well, it could have gone either way, Jimbo, um, because um, Francesco Totti floated this sublime pass um, to, I think it was Marco Del Vecchio, who uh, slid in a little bit like Gazza did against Germany in Euro 96 semi-final. Didn't reach the ball. In to go up the other end. Another Badger free kick. Simeone rising to it. Yeah, gets the win. It's, it's like you took a kind of all-star 90s <laughs> lineup and, and put them in Inter shirts for the evening. Despite this incredible lineup, did Inter ever go on and win anything? Did that Inter win anything more? Well, the great thing about that Inter side, because it is the Pazza Inter, so they, they're the crazy Inter. They basically beat Roma 5-4. They need to what, win the remaining games to qualify for Europe. Um, they beat Bologna on the final day comfortably. They win 3-1. And then they have a UEFA Cup playoff with Bologna because okay. they ended up finishing eighth and they lose both games. Wow. I suppose that does go to show either the strength and depth of Serie A at that time, which was probably the most competitively we've ever seen, um, or just the general ineptitude that there was at Inter as well. So there you go. I was thinking back. Was this like Badger's only good game in an Inter shirt? He had some uh, remarkable... When Lippi was there, he had a brilliant preseason. I remember, when he was linking up with Pirlo. <laughs> that was the following season, because Lippi was already in the stands. He'd already taken the job, mm. and Roy was just looking after things for him. So at that time, they were, for example, talking about signing uh, Churam, Seedorf, Davids as well, just because they didn't have enough talent already. Rakoba was on loan at Venezia at wow. this time. It was, was it, that was the season of the Ricoba Maniero connection, yeah, that was wasn't amazing. it? Yeah. With like he had like seven assists and they were all the same, all that, that those those, those cut, he cut it with his left foot like mm. forty yards across the pitch. And so Venezia were doing a, a Benevento back back then. In in December they looked completely lost. They, you know, they looked like the heads were not gonna be above water any longer. And they bring in Ricoba on, on loan from Inter. Pippo Maniero, who was kind of like can I say a poor man's Eric Cantona? He definitely was looking for that. He used to wear his co- shirt collars up and everything. And they just had an extraordinary well, partnership. Their owner at the time was uh, Maurizio Zamparini, mm. who, because Moratti had gone through four managers, said that Moratti had lost his mind. Right. But clearly, I mean, surely from Zamparini's point of view, that was entirely normal. Zamparini, who's um, a legend, I think, possibly the greatest manager in, in in Italy, still at it, of course, still in charge of Palermo? Yes, in fact, he sold the team to this mysterious interloper who was uh, this guy with all the tattoos who was, was, he was a former, he was on a TV show called The Yene, which people might be familiar with. And then it turns out, hey, look, he doesn't have any money. So then he, he fired him too. Yeah, that seems to happen a lot in Syria. Mm, funny that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. Well, I remember being there that night and it was, how do you, does that stand out as one of the great games of all time in Syria for you, Gab? It certainly was one of the uh, one of the up and down games, and I think what made it stand out is, from what I remember, and again, everything's more rose tinted. It's not that I don't like high scoring games; I just don't like bad defending, right? So I got very angry this past weekend when uh, when Liverpool conceded those two late goals. But sometimes you get high scoring games where both teams play really, really well, mm. and you get really high quality finishes. Um, and, and and I thought this this game was that you know I don't if you go back and and through the magic of YouTube we can all do this mm. and and you look at the goals that were scored yeah there's always things that defenders could do better but there's not going to be too many too many obvious errors or I mean 
Am I forgetting one? No, I mean, in that game, the finishing was, was outstanding. And, you know, I mean, you just have to do what you did earlier, which is just reel off the names there. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned people like Beppe Bergami was involved, Gianluca Pagliuca, uh, Aldair, legend, Pluto. Pluto. Uh, Roma, of course, that was to be the last season under Zdenek Zeman. A certain Fabio Capello with a slightly different footballing mentality <laughs> was waiting in the wings to begin what was a championship-winning era. Yeah, the, what, third and last Scudetto. Yeah, um, for now. But, uh, yeah, Zeman forced out the game, really, because of the, the allegations that he made, which uh, led to a doping trial. Um, I think his next job was, you know, at the very extremities of, of Europe, if you can call it that. Uh, he was at Fenerbahce. Yeah, he was uh, cast out by the, uh, by the Palazzo mm. uh, for calling, uh, well, casting suspicion on the uh, physical condition of some of the Juventus players at that time. Right. He's, he very much came back in, of course, after, after Juventus had a slight period of re- realignment and is in charge of Pascar at the moment where he's, he's still zemining. <laughs> yeah, he's still playing that brand of football that, you know, when it works, it's fantastic to watch. What was interesting about that, uh, about sort of Capello's arrival at that stage was um, you had Franco Baldini, who at the time was was Roma's director of football. And Capello was coming off a season where, you know, he, he, went, he went to Madrid, he won the title, and then he comes back to, to Milan and figures everything's fantastic now. Like, look, Capello's back, the guy who, you know, delivered those three titles. And, and everything goes, goes pear-shaped. So then he kind of like retires to to television and he becomes what a lot of people feel was sort of Italy's greatest ever sort of pundit co-commentator. You know, really? the, the Gary Neville of his time, if mm. you will. Um, well, the Klopp of, Germ- of Italy, yeah? Yes. Sorry, that's, that's, that's a better. For, for our many German listeners, they might relate to that better, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the way Baldini sold Capello on coming to Rome, and remember, Rome at the time, you know, you had an owner, the Sensi family, who had a ton of money, but a ton of debt too. And, you know, you had Franco Sensi was getting older. He just wanted to win a title before he, he sort of moved on. And and they sold him on this idea, like, you know, we're going to just knock City upside down, right? After years of Juventus and Milan, Milan and Juventus, you're going to deliver a title for Roma and you will make history as the guy who subverted the, the national order. And obviously that appealed to his ego. But there's a great story. So the first season, I think they finished, what, six, something like that. The second season, right, they sit around and this to me is this like sort of vintage Capello because they're like, all right, we have Montel as a center forward. That's fine, but he's little and it's all about movement. Like, you know, I, I need guaranteed 25 goals a season. You know, who's the best guy in the world right now? Like, well, it's Batistuta, but obviously we can't get him. Like, well, well, why not? Because there's no way, you know, he'd cost a fortune and there's no way the club would uh, um, the club would agree to that. So Capello and Baldini decide to go out to dinner with um, the editor-in-chief of the paper in, uh, in Rome, Corriere dello Sport, and they sort of hatch a plan. They say, listen, you tomorrow just put big headlines and just make sure you put, not Roma, but put like Franco Sensi, the Roma president, like buys Batistuta. Right, and just write a story off that. And you're like, well, is it true? It's like, no, it's not true. Not yet, anyway. Let's see what happens. And so they go out and, and they do that. And the minute sort of the first editions hit the, the newsstands in the middle of the night, 
all of a sudden the whole city wakes up. You know, the next morning there's like people taking their kids to school, detouring and like stopping by the news agents and looking at the paper. And Franco Sensi is sort of woken by, by cheering outside his house where fans have congregated and they're singing his name. And he's like, what, what's going on? <laughs> and at that point, like they just push so many buttons on him and he's just like, well, he couldn't go back and say, well, no, actually I'm not doing this. It's all nonsense. And, um, and, and to me, you know, sometimes with owners, especially back then in the pre-financial fair play age, you know, you could go and stroke somebody's ego to the point where he'd do something absolutely, you know, illogical and insane yeah. and go sign a, what was he, 30 at the time for for that absurd amount of money. For one and, good season. Yeah. And, and go and rub up, yeah, another set of fans the other way to the extent that Fiorentina fans would melt down the, the statue that they erected to, uh, to Batistuta. And I should point out, too, the uh, editor of that Roman newspaper at the time, uh, Corriere dello Sport, Marius Concerti, uh, my old boss, happens to also be from Florence, be a big Fiorentina fan, and a guy who a year after that mm. would go on to become chief executive of Fiorentina, which, well, you know, just, just to complete the circle. <laughs> Extraordinary, huh? So where is everybody now? Zeman, as I say, is now in charge of Pescara. Gigi Simone, the man who was fired by Inter at the start of that season on the day that he won the Manager of the Year award, is still managing. Did you know that? I, I wasn't aware of this. He's, he's with Gubbio. He's going to be 79 next week. Wow. And then you've got uh, what, Damiano Tomasi, who's Dam- running to be president of the Italian Football Federation right. at the moment. Who was in that Roma side. Eusebio Di Francesco, who scored one of the goals, now manager of Roma. And the Inter manager back then, Roy Hodgson, disappeared entirely from football, never to be seen again. That match, he recognised a pinnacle of his career, unlikely ever to be equaled, so he just dropped the mic and left the stage. My name, as if you didn't know, is James Mooncastle, and although I keep my hair long, I like to keep my beard short. And when it comes to shaving, I insist on Cornerstone. Cornerstone takes all the hassle out of shaving. You'll never run out of blades again. Just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash totally. Right, it was a great era of that, of kind of lunatic cavaliers, gentleman owners almost, who would plough their personal fortune. I think Marathi would be the ultimate example of that. There's no... There's probably no one who ploughed more of their own personal fortune into a club more than him, is there? Isn't the story with Maratti that the rest of his family recognised that he wasn't quite the sharpest tool? They didn't want him... So they they said, he can't be involved with our oil business, Mm -hmm. Saras. Stay away from the refineries. (laughs) Stay away from the refineries. Uh, (laughs) Give him the football club. He can take care of that. Here's some toys and you go do that. No. (laughs) Yeah, it was... I mean, I think... If I can turn serious for a moment. I think that, I mean, that was sort of the, the, the height of that era. Yeah. And if you look at it, it did a tremendous amount of damage to the Italian game, to what happened afterwards, because there was still the the time when people sort of refused to think that, you know, you could, uh, you could run football like a business and be successful. And so it was just a question of lobbying, putting pressure on, on the egos of owners to throw money in. You know, it's a little bit like people who own polo teams. I'm sure you know many. Um, and... And and it really stopped Italian football from you know it really kind of froze us in time where where, where it stopped us from from becoming like a normal industry mm. and uh, and that's why we were 
you know, we're only just just now over the last couple of years, uh, I think, catching up. I miss those days. I got to say, when you had people like Moratti, Sensi, Luciano Gauci at Perugia, Checky Gori, Checky Gori on the banks of the Arno. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely. Uh, if there's something in particular, listeners, you would like us to to discuss. Uh, do let us know, but we should definitely come back and do a thing on on the great Syria owners of of the past. That was it was lovely speaking to you, Gabriele, about that. Yeah, little trip back in time brings up loads of memories. Rakoba, that's another one. Remember El his Chino. debut on the day that Princess <laughs> Diana died. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he also score like a ninety seventh minute free kick in his last ever game for Rakoba? It was recently, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he also debuted, you remember, with an amazing brace. That was yeah. Ronaldo's debut as well. Yeah. Upstaged him. And this, as I say, was the day that Diana had died and we were doing the game live on Channel 4 and the Channel 4 executives were, were, were kind of calling through to the stadium and saying, is the game going ahead? And the Italians were a little bit nonplussed, you know, with all due respect, by this question. Yeah, we were intending to still play our football match. But um, their expressions of alarm when then the, the Brescia team came out fielding a, a player whose name was Diana... And that poor old Peter Brackley having to handle that on, on, on commentary duties. Not the best. I'm Odiana. I'm Odiana, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, so many great stories. This has been just one of them. Do hope you've enjoyed, Golad. So it's been lovely to have you here, as I say, Gabriele, and you, James Horncastle, and you, listener. We'll catch up with you again soon. But in the meantime, do rate us and review us, share and subscribe. Send us a tweet at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook, also at The Totally Football Show. But for now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, The Totally Italian Football Show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other podcasts, The Totally Football Show and The Totally Football League Show. 